Create, innovate, collaborate. Welcome to Beyond Ideas. I'm Brad Twine. I'm your host and virtual entrepreneur in residence. And I'm really excited about today's guest because not only is she an absolute powerhouse of a business person, but when it comes to understanding how entrepreneurs can use the media to benefit their businesses, no one understands how to do this better than she does. Our guest today is the founder and CEO of WordStorm, a Sydney-based PR agency that's been around for about 18 years. She's been featured on too many shows to list here in an intro. However, Sunrise, The Weekend Australian and The Sydney Morning Herald are just a few. And she's also a successful keynote speaker and is engaging audiences all over the country with her keynote titled The Starstruck Phenomena. And I'm sure she's working on a book as well. It yes, gives me great pleasure to introduce Monica Rosenfeld. Monica, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Brad. Thank you for having me. And thanks for that lovely intro. You are more than welcome. Monica, you've built a very successful business over 18 years. And for me, that's absolutely mind-blowing because the most I've had a business for is about seven. <laughs> Tell us your story and, and, and how WordStorm came about and what your journey's been like. Sure. Okay, fantastic. Well, I started WordStorm in the year 2000 um, and after working at A Current Affair for a couple of years as a producer. And what I found during that time was that I was being pitched stories to by PR people, marketing managers, business owners, all wanting a story on air. But not that what I felt was that they didn't really understand how to pitch to me in order to get that cut through. They didn't give me a hook or a reason for running the story and they didn't have our viewers in mind. Um, it was more like, oh, I've got a great business. Write a, you know, can you do a story on it? And I would always say to them, you know, how will this change the lives of our viewers? What's going to get our viewers to switch on and stay tuned in? So I saw so many businesses wanting and needing that exposure but really struggling with how to communicate with a journalist to get that coverage. And this gave me the idea to start my own PR agency, which I did um, in the year 2000. So I was quite young. I was 25 years old and a little bit naive, you might say, um, but a bit of you know healthy naivety can go a long way. And... Um, I just felt that I knew how not to do PR, so I thought all I have to do is do the opposite of the things that didn't work for me as a journalist in picking up a story and go from there. So we've, um, you know, grown and shrunk and evolved over the 18 years, um, but now we're very, very clear on our purpose, which is to magnify the message of entrepreneurial-driven businesses and not-for-profits so that these businesses can help more and more people because more and more people know about the services and products they offer. Your focus is on entrepreneurs with WordStorm. Yes. Entrepreneurs, when they're in incubators and, and I guess as they're learning the, the craft of being an entrepreneur, are taught a lot of different technical skills. But PR doesn't seem to be one of those technical skills yeah. that, that people are taught very much. Why do you think that is? I think um, people have a bit of a misconception about media. Um, they don't see it as a way to get direct sort of sales and leads and things like that. So, you know, when they work on digital marketing, they can measure all of that really well from click-throughs and things like that. Whereas I think um, when it comes to m getting mass 
sort of mainstream media coverage, they the the people who are designing these courses or, or programs just aren't really understanding what the benefits are of getting that that coverage. And I think that's why I'm trying to educate people in giving workshops and keynote speak uh, talks because I I know what an amazing impact it can have, and I know that the entrepreneurs out there all have this amazing story and that's all you need to get a great piece of media coverage or consistent coverage over a period of time. So I I think, I also think that the coordinators of these programs might not have a clue themselves about, they, they might know a lot about digital marketing, but they probably don't know a lot or have had much to do with at all about media relations and for that reason, they probably don't feel comfortable putting it on their curriculum. But I think it's it's a shame for people doing the courses that they miss out on this information. That's tremendous insight, Monica. And I want to come back and talk a little bit more about digital marketing and our focus on on social, 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 which which seems to be you know, where, what entrepreneurs are taught today. Um, but before we do that, I, I just want to sort of talk to you a little bit more about your journey as an entrepreneur. Uh, You're a fantastic leader and I know you're passionate about gender parity and and equality in the workplace. Yeah. First of all, what's been your biggest challenges over the last 18 years as an entrepreneurial woman, both personally and professionally? Okay. Um, Well, probably from a personal point of view, um, and this links into the whole gender conversation, um, over the past 18 years, I mean, I've had three kids in that time. Um, they're now 12, 10 and 7, but uh, when they were born, that was, and in those early years of each of them, that it was quite challenging to sort of run the business and, you know, be a mum and, you know, look after all of that. So I, I was I was exceptionally lucky in that, my husband works in the business with me and he is like a baby whisperer so, and we kind of have reverse roles in our lives. So he's the one who picks up the kids from school and makes the dinner, so I know I'm very lucky. Um, but I, I was still challenged. You know, I was breastfeeding for the first six months of each of my child's children's lives, um, but I'd find myself from doing that to being in a meeting you know, my daughter, my second daughter was very sick when she was born and ended up living in hospital for four, four weeks. And I remember sleeping in hospital overnight and going to a pitch for a huge um, big company the, the next day. Needless to say, we didn't get the, the job. But um, just just that juggle um, of trying to be an amazing mum and parent and wife and business owner and leader and, you know, a great manager for my team and all of that sort of stuff. So I guess that's been the biggest challenge but also the biggest reward because in overcoming those challenges I've had to look for ways and how to manage my life and my mindset and prioritise things and to, to be able to be the best person with each of the hats that I'm wearing. Um, so it's, it's a it's forced me to sort of look at my life and shape my life in in a way that I live the life I really want to be living and not being feeling like I'm not doing any job as best as I could be. That's a fantastic story, Monica. It brings up a couple of things for me. First of all, you talked about being a mum and being a businesswoman at the same time and juggling those two things. 
Yes. What you encapsulate there for me is this notion of work-life integration. Yes. And I think there is this myth in the business world that we've got to achieve work-life balance yeah. and that's some kind of mystical unicorn as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah. I really believe and particularly for a woman who wants to be a mum as well as a business woman, mm-hmm. there is nothing wrong with work-life integration. No, absolutely. You don't have, it's not one at the expense of the no, other. It's how no. well you can integrate the two together. Both. And I think I think that's yeah. one of the things you, you really pointed to. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Well, I, for instance, let's say um, one of my children has something on at school that I really want to be at, an assembly or something, I will put that in my diary and make it a priority and that that assembly will be just as important as a meeting with a client that I really, really want to work with. So I will not compromise on that assembly, um, but I might not go to um, a swimming carnival which isn't as important to the kids that I'm there or to me. So it's really just, as you say, integrating it all according to, okay, where's the value going to be for, for me and the child? <laughs> Um, you know, do they, you know, do they really want me to come and do reading groups? That's fine. And then, but maybe it's not as important to do, to pick them up after school every day. That can be done by someone else or, you know, so it's just sort of adapting to where your values are and what's important to, to the people involved. And then, um, but like, for instance, I, I've made a decision not to work on weekends and, I don't work on weekends. Like weekends are for the family. It's for me to recharge myself as well. And in my business, I've shaped my business around that. So generally speaking, my clients don't work on the weekends either. I mean, we we do the work we want to do, like LinkedIn's fun <laughs> for me, but um, actual meetings and things and communicating by email on business top things, um, we don't do, I don't do on the weekend and my clients don't expect me to, so... There's some great strategies in what you just said there, Monica, not just for business women but, but business men as well or anyone in business. Clearly being a mum and a business person at the same time has been a real challenge and, and you've, you've spoken really well about how you've integrated those two things together. What do you think are the important characteristics that differentiate women from men in positions of leadership? Okay, um, I really feel strongly that women um, can really success in leadership roles, be successful in leadership roles, because we, a lot of women, and I'm not saying men don't have this, but women naturally tend to um, be able to empathise um, very well with other people. So they are more receptive to how people are feeling and we, I feel that in being able to do that, in being able to read body language more naturally and pick up on signals that aren't necessarily spoken but are just sort of nonverbal communication, um, we are able to create very cohesive teams, um, make people feel more valued. And, and, look, I'm not saying that a lot of men can't, don't and can't do this as well, I just think um, a lot of women, to a lot of women, this comes very, very naturally um, to have that sort of more empathetic um, sort of personality, if you like. It, it certainly is a diverse diversity that men and women have, I believe. Yeah. In, mostly, like you said, there are exceptions. 
if, if I look at my strengths, I think empathy for me is down at number 32. Right, <laughs> it's right, right, right down the bottom, right? <laughs> but my strengths are very different. Yeah. Um, you know, what you're saying and, and what I just got from what you just said, Monica, is, is that the characteristics that you just mentioned really lend themselves to what's required to successfully be in business as millennials yeah. become more and more prominent in the yeah. workforce yeah. because they expect that. They expect empathy. They expect cohesion. They expect yeah. things that I certainly didn't expect when I went into the workforce. Yeah. You know, yeah. I expected to be told what to do, where to go, and, and be told that if I didn't deliver, I'd be fired. That's what yeah. I expected and exactly. that's what I got. Yeah. But the world's changing. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is that that women are becoming more important in leadership because the workforce is changing. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And also as more women carve out, a, you know, a career and a, and a good career with balancing their family and integrating it all, as as we employ women who are doing the same things, I think we are able to mentor them in how to create that integration. Um, and we know how important it is for us to be able to um, divide ourselves into our, the important facets of our lives. So I know I would want to be able to mentor women on how to do that and how to do that without feeling guilty and, and all of those sorts of things. So, yeah. Do you feel it's getting easier as a woman in today's business climate or is there still a long way to go? Um, I feel that as a female entrepreneur, um, it's you sort of carve your own path and, you you know, you've got that personality and there's, there's strength in numbers and there's so many of us now it's becoming more normal to become sort of a female entrepreneur and very successful. Um, I don't really have much experience working in the corporate arena, so it's hard for me to comment on that particular area. Um, I mean, I I do know that there are more and more women um, in leadership positions within corporate, um, but I, I do. But based on sort of some statistics I heard this year. Um, I'd feel that there probably is a long way, a long way to go, and we need to keep having the conversations and actions and making sure that the doors are, are opening. But I mean, I feel we've come a very, very long way, you know, from the days where women weren't, you know, expected to work or were expected not to work and were slaves in the kitchen. <laughs> I mean, we've come a long way from that, and if we can continue that uphill, uh, not up, upward sort of momentum, um, that will be really great because it's it's absolutely imperative that women are seen as equals, do have those leadership positions. Um, there, there's so much to be gained from that. A number of women listening to this program who are either thinking about becoming entrepreneurs or who have just started that entrepreneurial journey what advice would you give to them based on your 18 years of experience of being an entrepreneur yourself? Okay. My advice would be not to think too much about it, and I know that might sound strange, but my advice would be make the decision that you are going to start this business or get that role or whatever and just carve a path to doing that. 
don't get too caught up in what your competitors are doing and, you know, are you really good enough because, look, there's so many competitors or um, are you good enough for it or, um, you know, just just do it. Just just make the decision that, yes, I'm going to do this and make that a very um, clear mission for yourself and just get on with it. <laughs> um, don't try and make it all too perfect. Just start whatever you're going to do and you will learn lots of lessons and you'll make mistakes and have all kinds of ups and downs, but it's in the, it's in the process of doing that that you will um, become more and more successful and you'll learn to be resilient and any entrepreneur will tell you it's highs and lows. You know, an amazing deal comes through, you're on top of the world and then something not so good happens, you're at the bottom of the world again <laughs> and it's like up, down, up, down. But be ready for that um, and really invest in your mindset. It's all about mindset. If you want to be in this for the long haul, you've really got to work on yourself and keeping your mind strong when the downs are there because there will be downs as much as there will be ups. So just things like, you know, like I, I exercise every morning, gets my endorphins going, gets my blood flowing, and if I've woken up with any negative thoughts, by the end of that 45-minute session, I'm, I'm flying high and there's no room for negativity in my brain because I'm on such a physical high and my endorphins, endorphins are flooding my body. Um, and as I said, you know, I have those recharge on the weekend. So just sort of if you're in it for the long haul, don't, don't go all out and kill yourself, you know, in the first year. <laughs> Just uh, really create um, a routine that will set you up for success and give yourself a break. I also, I think it's so important to take holidays, you know, and some people say, oh, I haven't had a holiday in five years and they're proud of that and they think it makes them a martyr. I just look at them and think, well, why, why, why are you neglecting yourself like that? I mean, <laughs> if, I, if I, I find if I go on a holiday, if I have a problem beforehand, after two weeks of not thinking about it but actually letting go and having a break, and by the way, on my holidays I don't check my emails or anything like that, I come back and the problem is not a problem anymore and I just think, well, I can't believe I ever thought that was a problem. So, yeah, I think be, looking after yourself well, all holistically is really important. That's not just great advice for female entrepreneurs, Monica, that's great no. advice for yeah. any entrepreneur or any human being yes. who yes. works for a living. Yes. Uh, thank yes. you for that. A tremendously insightful. Uh, clearly that's come from experience and, yes. and it's a pet topic that, that I, I very much share with you in terms of, you know, business is is 10% execution and 90% psychology and, and yeah. taking care of your mental health and taking care of yourself yeah. is one of the most important things you can do as, as an entrepreneur. Yes, absolutely, yeah. I didn't ask you on the show to talk about this issue and, and I only ask those questions because of my respect to you. I want to turn our attention now to WordStorm. We talked in the intro about the misconceptions around media in 18 years, you must have seen the media sector evolve a number of times. Can you take us through what you've observed over that time? Yes. And what the current misconceptions you think entrepreneurs currently have about the media? Sure. Um, so, yes, over 18 years there have been a lot of changes. Um, but what hasn't changed is that people 
are still addicted to consuming media. So the way we consume media has changed, but our addiction to consuming the media has not. So as my business progressed, so say around the three-year mark, the five-year mark, I started getting a bit scared, like thinking, oh, you know, the social media is really getting big now, you know, is media going to die? Like, am I going to have a business? You know, because my business relies on people wanting to be in the media and that giving them value. But what I have learned is that there will always be media. It's just that where people look for that information or their daily news or, you know, to read up on what's going on in the world um, will will adapt and change. But the fact that they're looking for somewhere to, to read and step to news and things will not change. So obviously um, with the advent of, of social media, I, re- I remember the first thing to come up was blogging. So blogs were going to be huge. And, and yes, blogs are still re- very relevant and, and they have evolved. But um, that was the first sort of time that I, there was something outside of mainstream media that was really becoming a big force of its own. Um, and then, of course, social media, everyone started getting onto Facebook um, and Twitter and things like that. And, um, and then that, and we, we did a lot of work, you know, doing, con- putting content together as well for Facebook. And then the advertising side of Facebook came in and then it, you had to really know the algorithms and things like that. And what, what I realized was that I'm just going to stick with um, what my strength is, which is mainstream media, because social media channels are changing and evolving all the time. So I would rather leave that area to the people expert in that and for me to focus on mainstream um, media relations, which is getting our clients on TV, radio, online news sites, you know, um, newspapers, magazines. What what has changed a lot, which is quite funny, is like probably about seven years ago or so, clients would come in and say, "Look, I know you got me on this great on this on this website, um, and it could have been a website of a newspaper. So great that I'm on there, but I want to be in print. Like I don't think people really value. Uh, my clients would say people don't v- value the fact that I'm on- online. That doesn't give me any credibility." I want to be in, on paper. I want to be in the magazine. I want to be in the actual paper part of the newspaper. Um, and now it's the opposite. <laughs> now clients say, right, get me on news.com.au, get me on smh.com.au. I don't really need to be in the paper version of those things. I want to be in the online version. So that's been really, really interesting. And, of course, the reason clients are valuing that is because that's where people are more and more getting their information Less and less people are buying the actual physical paper, um, but they're, you know, logging on to smh.com.au or news.com or whatever their favourite newspaper is. So that has um, been a big change. But the way we do our business hasn't really changed that much because with people reading more of their news online, that's where more of the journalists are heading and, so it's the same journalists that we were dealing with pretty much in print, but a lot of them have moved online. So in terms of how we conduct our business, it's pretty much the same. It's just speaking to journalists in another forum. Um, and actually digital press has given entrepreneurs more opportunity 
to for coverage because an online newspaper, for instance, needs more content than a physical newspaper. Because with a physical paper, they put the stories in, they put it to bed, they print it, and it's out for a day. With an with their digital version of that same newspaper, they have to keep refreshing the page, have you know, pe- keep people coming back, so keep putting up new content. Journalists needing more content means more opportunities for entrepreneurs. So what you're saying is while we're consuming media in different ways, and I want to ask you a question, would you consider Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn now to be mainstream media? Um, it is media, but it's, it's not what I would classify mainstream media from my point of view. Like for me, it's sort of, I'm talking about, you know, as I said, TV programs, radio, online news sites, um, newspapers and magazines. So Facebook, Twitter and all of that, I would still consider social media um, and, you know, those more traditional media frameworks as um, sort of mainstream media. Thanks for clarifying that. One of the things I really admire about your work is is that while the rest of the world is going social, 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 you're the one standing there saying there is a tremendous opportunity in mainstream media, media, TV, yes. radio, print, um, even online newspapers. Yes. You've given us sort of how that's changed. Can you give us some insight into why you've taken that position sure. when the rest of the world is going social, social, social? Absolutely. I don't think it can be doubted that we are bombarded by more marketing messages than ever today. There are more and more brands, businesses out there vying for our attention. And how are they, the majority of them are vying for our attention through social media. Therefore, being present on social media does not give you the same amount of credibility and brand trust that you get when you're in mainstream media. So my clients want to be on TV. Why do they want to be on TV? Not because they've got big egos and want to see themselves on the box or whatever. It's because they get that credibility of being able to say, you know, as interviewed, as seen on the project, as seen on Sunrise, um, as seen on a current affair, generally if they're a consumer brand. So it's the same with um, with newspapers like smh.com.au, The Age and, you know, all the main metro papers, news.com.au, you know, for entrepreneurial press, you know, Business Insider, Startup Daily. You get far more credibility by being featured in the media than you do by doing lots and lots of social media posts. But what I would suggest is they, they're both very valid and what I would suggest is take that coverage that you've got in mainstream media and push it through your social channels. Your social channels are there to amplify your message. You know, you've got a message and amplify it. So why don't you get that credibility from mainstream media and then amplify that credibility through your social channels? That way they work hand in hand. So, um, If businesses really want to succeed today, they need to stand ahead of their competition. There is so much competition. And one surefire way of doing that is by being consistently sort of featured in mainstream mainstream press. 
um, getting that credibility and pushing all of that out through their social channels and sort of putting it on their website, you know, as seen here, there and wherever. It's all about credibility. Besides hiring WordStorm, how do you create a newsworthy brand? Okay. What you need to think about is what journalists are looking for. What journalists want or what they're needing to get is content that will add value to and engage their audience. So what you need to do is look at your story and your business and think how can I add value to my audience based on what I have to say. So I've got a few tips in doing this. Um, and these are so we come up with newsworthy hooks to get our to get journalists interested in our clients' content. One of them is coming up with top five tips. So let's say you're an, in, an expert in any kind of industry. Let's say it's finances. Top five ways to, to pay off your credit card debt in, in three months. Um, top five ways to save enough money so that you can um, have a Christmas holiday once a year. You know, just top five tips. Media love tips because it gives value to their audience and it's um and it's good bite-sized information. So and it's a great way for you to assert yourself as an expert in that area, and that gives you that credibility. So another angle, for example, is um, statistics. Media love statistics because it's newsworthy. It's it's a you know they they like to report on what's newsworthy. So if you can come up with some sort of interesting statistic within your industry and hang a story off it, then you've got a really good chance of getting um, exposure. To give an example, we worked with a dentist who offered a service for people who were very scared of the dentist to do their treatment under anaesthetic. We knew dental anxiety was a massive issue for people. I mean, who's not scared of the dentist? (laughs) So we conducted a study to find out what percentage of Australians are so scared of the dentist that they haven't been in over five years. We came up with 85%, and that was the news angle we led with, um, and our dental client commented on it throughout the story. They ended up getting an interview on Today Extra, Um, with one of their patients who had been in this situation where she had been so scared of the dentist she hadn't been in over 10 years. In the end, she was able to overcome that through this dental clinic and had a brand new smile which kind of changed her life. So um, case studies is another really good one. So if you've got a client whose life has been transformed in some way by your service offering, they should tell that story to the media. So let's say you're a property business and you help people flip properties. You can tell the media how good you are at that and that you change people's lives. But what if you've just helped a couple do that for themselves? That that couple or that person sharing their story is really, really powerful and you still get the cred from it essentially. So they're just, look, they're just three techniques that we use all the time to get our clients in the press. Um, there, there are quite a few more angles. And, um, but you, what you, the key is to be centred around how is this information adding value to the audience of the media I'm pitching to? You mentioned the dental example of a dental client you worked with. Are there any other successful campaigns that you've been involved with that you could share for our audience? 
Yes. So um, we're currently working with this really awesome business called Clubicize. Clubicize is a, a workout um, started by an entrepreneur. So she was a mother out having drinks with her friends one night and they were talking about the fact that they really miss going out and dancing and just clubbing because, you know, with the kids and their work and all of that, they just don't have the time anymore. So they came up with this concept whereby let's they decided to create a dance workout, a choreographed workout with glow sticks and um, done in dark within to great music um, within gyms and health clubs so that women and some men can feel like they're actually going out clubbing, um, get that same buzz and that same experience, but they're actually going and having a workout at the gym. So they have, um, they're now hugely successful in the UK. There's over 100,000 club-sized classes being conducted all the time in the UK. And what they, what they did, they licensed their workouts. So they train gym instructors in the club size workout and then those gym instructors roll that out within the gyms that they work with and they get a licensing fee um, for that. So they launched in Australia this year um, and they launch by conducting training programs for the trainers who will then roll out the classes. So they have had so much media interest and press um, this year, including, you know, several stories on TV Huge one-page, you know, full full-page um, articles in Metropolitan Press, um, news.com.au, interviews left, right, and centre. And the other benefit, and the other way that mainstream coverage works with social, is that, for instance, um, Today Show did a great, great story on it. The Today Show put that story on their Facebook page and that Facebook story went totally viral. <laughs> so um, mainstream media have their social channels as well. So if you can end up on the mainstream media and their social channels, it's going to be pushed out far more than you can get from your own social channels because the mainstream media channels are obviously going to be much, much larger and more powerful. Um, but anyway, they, they're getting consistent coverage in all states of Australia as well as national press, and they're in the process of doing conducting training workshops and club size is being rolled out um, as we speak. So That's great. Typically what kind of results do you find your clients get from getting a story like this in the mainstream media in terms of, you know, demand capture and yeah. things along those lines. It really depends on um, the client and, and what they're going for and every client's different. So, for instance, some of our clients have a mission to be on the shelves of the main supermarkets. So for, for them a measurement of success will be, you know, from the coverage was I able to use that um, as momentum to get onto those shelves. Others will be having sort of people sign up to the training program and come to the training program. So every client is different um, and, you know, the, you know, using mainstream media coverage is a great way to achieve the, the numbers that you're looking for, whether it's in leads coming through, um, whether it's in getting your business to the next level through collaboration with someone else or getting new franchisees on board. 
Um, but the main thing that I I stress is that don't rely on that coverage that's going to come out today and be gone tomorrow. Push that coverage through your social channels and just keep that conversation going um, longer than the day that the coverage came out. So really use it because it's a credibility-building exercise. The other thing is, you know, when you have a potential customer or client calling to ask about your product or service, you need to ask them where did they hear about you because if you don't know, you'll never know. (laughs) Um, You'll never know what led them to you. Was it the article that they read? Was it this Facebook ad that they saw? Was it a combination of everything? So just ask, make sure you ask that question. Naturally, there's a process to getting your brand or your story into the mainstream media. On your website, you talk about pitching for a story. What are the important elements that our listeners need to think about if they are thinking about pitching a story as opposed to, say, a sales pitch or a pitch to an investor? Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. So step number one, come up with your angle. Um, And your angle has to be around how is this information going to benefit the audience. Number two, um, write a press release based on that angle. So a press release is a one-page document outlining the story idea that you have for the journalist. Um, So it's a one-page document and I'm happy to sort of give you a link to an example and a checklist um, that listeners might want to sort of download. That would be great, Monica. Thank you. Yeah, pleasure. Um, then it's about the email pitch. So we generally, you would pitch this um, press release out through an email. So in the pitch email, the body of that email should be a couple of paragraphs with no more than three or four sentences at the very most encapsulating the main points of your press release um, along with um, an image. So you need to always accompany your press release with an image just to give the journalist a visual idea of the story. So that image should be in the body of the pitch email as well as a couple of low-res images attached to your email. And in your pitch you would actually say press release um, attached with more info along with low-res images, high-res images and interviews available on request. And then in terms of who to communicate this with, it's a matter of doing a bit of research. So think about who is your target audience and what media do they consume. Um, Once you know what that is, then you have a really good idea of the media that you want to get your stories in. And I would say write a list of who that media might be. So you might have 15 different media outlets. And then it's a matter of finding out the names, so who to pitch it to. So for online media, um, so online newspapers um, and uh, magazines, that's very easy because it's literally listed on the, you know, in the magazines and on the website. So if you go to SMH, you'll see exactly who writes the small business section or the um, tech section or whatever. So that's the journalist you want to pitch your story to. For radio and TV, it's a matter of calling up those stations and literally asking the receptionist, can you please give me the name of the producer of the Carl and Jackie O show Um, and their contact details. Um, You can also do a lot of this stuff is available on Google. So just let your fingers do the walking and find out whatever you can on Google. 
But whatever you don't do, don't um, send your press release to news at news.com.au or editor at such and such. They won't be seen. (laughs) It will go into a big giant hole. You need to be talking to a specific journalist um, if you want to get anywhere with, with your pitch. Um, and then after you do your pitch, follow up about four days later um, with another email sort of saying, um, you know, I sent you this story which is perfect for your audience for X, Y, Z. Is there any more information? Um, would you like to conduct an interview? And, um, and that's how to do it. That's great advice, Monica. It sounds like a pretty intense process and a lot that goes into it. Would, would you agree with that statement? Yes, quite a lot goes into it. Yes, definitely. <laughs> My experience of dealing with the media is is that they can be a little fickle. You know, one minute they love you, then if something changes and suddenly you get a bad review for your product or something comes up personally about you, they jump on that and then they hate you and, and, and the story completely changes. That's an obvious gotcha. What are the other gotchas you really need to watch out for when dealing with the mainstream media? Okay. Um, I would say don't wing your interviews. You know, if you get a chance to be interviewed by journalists, this is your opportunity to magnify your message to a very large audience a lot of the time. And a lot of people just wing it. You know, you wouldn't go to a really important presentation and with no preparation. You wouldn't just show up and think, oh, I'll be right, mate. (laughs) So why on earth would you do that for a journalist interview? So I would say be very clear on what you want to communicate in this interview and no matter what they ask you, get those messages across. So answer their question and add your little sort of add your key message um, to that. The other thing I would say is that, you know, people treat journos like policemen or, you know, let's say a journalist calls you because something's happening in your industry and they want to get your point of view. You don't have to talk to them that second. You know, it's not like a cop, you know, knocking at your door and saying, come down to the station, madam. <laughs> like then you might not want to resist. But with a journalist, you can say, thank you for your phone call. Okay, let me know what's the situation. Great. Yes, I would love to give you an interview. Unfortunately, I'm running off to a meeting right now. Um, but can we speak in a couple of hours and I'll be able to give you what you need? And then you give yourself time to prepare um, for that interview and exactly what you want to say. I would just say if a journ- if it's turning into a negative um, line of questioning, which rarely happens um, when you're putting out, you know, your positive stories, but if it's a very controversial topic, it can a bit of negative questioning can come about. And with that, what I would say is just have that flick head in your, flick the switch in your brain. So if they ask you a question, come up with the positive. So to give you an example, I did the PR for Sculpture by the Sea for a couple of years, which is that fantastic um, sculpture exhibition in um, Bondi um, around October. And I had to, I did an interview where I felt the journalist was hell-belt on getting a negative story. So he would say things like, it's so bad for the area, you know, the grass gets ruined, you know, all these people descend on this area and it's chaos for the neighbours and whatever. And I just said, no, you know, part of the reason the council likes this 
exhibition is that it brings people from all over Australia and it showcases Bondi, you know. So this is a positive thing that we're bringing lots and lots of people into this area for this amazing creative event. And then the, he went on to say, well, what about all those artists? They've worked for months on this work and, you know, it's left out in the elements. You know, the wind can ruin it, can be, get swept out to sea. And I just said, no, actually um, this exhibition attracts artists who love working with the elements. You know, for them this is a fantastic challenge to create a piece that will stand, you know, as part of the natural background and um, be seen in that light. And, you know, so basically I spun every negative question into a positive and a huge big feature article came out in the Sunday paper and there was not one negative thing in there because I didn't give them anything to go on. So it's a matter of prepping beforehand to flick the switch if they ask you something that's sounding negative, just flick it into something positive. Is it possible to develop an ongoing relationship with the media in terms of your oh, brand? Definitely. I mean, media, it's a win-win. They're looking for content. They've got lots and lots of airtime to fill, space to fill. You've got the content. <laughs> so if you can be showing them that you can be delivering that content um, that will add value to their audience time and time again, um, you will have a very beneficial, mutually beneficial relationship. And the way to do that is by regularly giving them angles that you feel will resonate with their audience um, and working in with them. So if they say, no, this isn't a story for me for now, don't start hammering them, you know, why not, da, 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 you know, I think it really is a story, you know, just, just listen to the cues that they give you. But what I would say is when they do run an article um, about your brand or whatever the story is, how about sending them a thank you card? You know, no one gets thanks, thanks much anymore. And what we do at Wordstorm, we don't even send them an email We've created our own thank you cards, really quirky cards, which are branded, you know, with WordStorm. And we send physical cards to the journalists every time they run a great story um, from our, you know, about our clients. And they email us to say thank you so much for saying thank you. Like no one ever says thank you anymore. So just so true. treat them like a human being. Um, we also make a point of knowing when their birthdays are. So when it's their birthday, we'll send them a little gift. You know, when we know that they've changed jobs because we're, we're in tune with all of that, we need to be, we'll send them a little, you know, welcome to your new job gift, you know, good luck with that. Um, so there are lots of ways to develop relationships with journalists. It starts with giving them the content that they want and need, but it ends with just treating them like a human. Once again, great advice, Monica. We could probably talk for hours around this topic. It's so interesting. I mean, in terms of building a brand, if, if you can build that ongoing relationship with the media, and I believe startups right now, particularly in this country, being Australia, have that opportunity because yeah. the focus is on the ideas economy and it is newsworthy, Yeah. right? You're touring the country at the moment. You've got two keynotes and workshops. The first is the starstruck phenomenon, how to create the fame factor for your brand. And the other 
keynote and workshop is Hook, Line and Sinker, how to create newsworthy angles that will get your brand in the headlines. Can you give us a quick synopsis of each of those keynotes and workshops and what your audience is getting out of those keynotes? Absolutely. So the starstruck phenomenon, how to create the fame factor for your brand, is really looking at the concept of building yourself as the spokesperson up as as an almost celebrity authority in the media. And you do this to have an unbelievably successful business. The person I use an example in my talk is Michelle Bridges. Um, think of people like Michelle Bridges, Steve Baxter, Naomi Simpson, you know, um, Janine Ellis, Boost Juice. People that you consistently see in the media um, are the ones who have the top, top, really successful business. And that wasn't a mistake. <laughs> the media helped them get there. So this keynote is delivered to businesses of all types and verticals, you know, property, retail, startup, tech, and it's essentially teaching the audience members how to create that starstruck phenomenon for themselves. Right now, you know, when sitting in the audience, they might not be able to imagine that they could be like Michelle Bridges, but Michelle was just an ordinary woman like the rest of us. She came from a working-class family um, in Newcastle, And the only difference between her and us is that she had this absolute driving ambition to be a massive success in her industry. And the media was an amazing vehicle for her to do that. And no, she did not start by being the big one of the trainers in the biggest loser house. That opportunity only came because she'd already been pushing her message out there consistently in the media. Um, so that, sorry, getting very passionate there. So that's um, that's my kind of that's my talk that I give on stages that to to sort of show audiences a new way of thinking about things, that new concept. And then the workshop hook, line, and sinker is really teaching them the nuts and bolts of how to go about, you know, creating those angles that will get them in the media. So I do touch on that within my keynote if I've got enough time. Um, but with the workshops, I really get to get into a little bit more detail about how to go about coming up with those angles and then how to write a press release, how to pitch, follow up, etc. It's been great talking with you today, Monica. It's not only been really interesting, but a skill as an entrepreneur, I believe we should be developing with our entrepreneurial talent that's now coming through incubators, accelerators, germinators, and any other means that that entrepreneurs are learning these skills. Uh, I'd love to get you out to the regions and talk at some of the incubators in regional Australia. Would you be open to that? Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Fantastic. How can people get hold of you to either book you as a speaker or to engage you via your company words? Sure. Well, um, to book me as a speaker, um, you can have a look at my website, uh, www.monikarosenfeld.com. That's R-O-S-E-N-F-E-L-D. And then feel free to send me an email um, if you want to talk about booking me for speaking or working with my agency, um, monica, M-O-N-I-C-A, at wordstormpr.com.au. Monica, it's been an absolute pleasure and I really hope you continue to get this message out there. Thanks for coming on the show.
Thank you so much, Brad. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you very much. 